We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Randall, and you are listening to the Rotoviz Season Preview Podcast. Today, we will be previewing the AFC West, and I will be joined by Marcus Mosier, the managing editor of the Raiders Wire, and he will be covering the Oakland Raiders, Denver Broncos, Los Angeles Chargers, and Kansas City Chiefs from a fantasy football perspective. He's a great follow on Twitter. Please follow him at Marcus underscore Mosier. Before we begin, just want to remind everyone that you can still get a listeners-only 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. That great subscription gives you unlimited access to all the premium NFL content that we have. Best of all, it supports the pod. Please make sure to check it out, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. And another way to support the pod is, again, patreon.com. It's back for the second season. We have so many great things going on. Patronships start at just $6 per month. 
We now have exclusive access to the Rotobus Radio Slack channels for patrons only. You can jump in, talk to the writers and the podcast hosts whenever you want. I've really enjoyed it so far, talking about draft results, players people like, who they don't like, and it's a great way to interact with our listeners. At the higher end tier of $9 per month, it's still a great deal. You also get some Rotobus merchandise at the end of the season. So please become a Rotobus patron today. Join an exclusive community at patreon.com forward slash Rotobus Radio. It's a nice way to help us continue the industry lead content and all the shows we do here on the network. So let's get straight into it. Bring in our guest, Marcus Mosier of the Raiders Wire. Please welcome Marcus Mosier, managing editor of the Raiders Wire. He's been one of the best guests here on the road of his preview pods, and he joins us today to give us great insight on the Raiders, Chiefs, Chargers, and Broncos, just a fountain of information on everything NFL. Please follow him on Twitter at Marcus underscore Mosier. Marcus, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. I'm, I'm always uh, glad to talk a little bit of uh, some AFC West football. Normally, when we're doing this show, we're talking about the Cowboys and the Giants, but uh, I'm excited to talk about this fun division. Well, of course, and Marcus, I mean, you have knowledge of every team, but of course, you have a ton of, of information on the Raiders, and it appears that the Raiders, who we're going to start with, have had a bit of an exciting offseason. That's a that's an understatement right there. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so this is the team that you have on a regular basis. First year, the John Gruden era ended up with them going 4-12, and and they got the fourth pick in the NFL draft. That resulted in a bit of a surprise when they took Clemson defensive end Cleland Farrell. Amari Cooper is gone. Antonio Brown is in, we think, if he has a helmet that he needs. I guess we should start with Brown. He's in, he's here, and are all those histrionics over? Was that just for hard knocks? Are the Raiders now starting to really worry about his frame of mind as the season starts? Uh, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I do think the Raiders are – I don't think they had any idea what they signed up for when they traded for Antonio Brown. They, they heard some of the rumblings that were happening in Pittsburgh – uh, but I think now that they see it on an everyday basis, uh, there's maybe a little bit of buyer's remorse. We're not we're not there yet where the Raiders are giving up on him. But um, here's what I would say about Antonio Brown. If you've known him at all over the last nine years of his NFL career, this offseason and this training camp isn't anything different than what we're used to seeing. He's been this guy for the last four or five years. Just Pittsburgh doesn't get the same national attention that, you know, Oakland does, especially now with Hard Knocks and with John Gruden. Uh, I, I do think once we get to the regular season, Brown's going to be all in and we're going to see, you know, a, a really, really good version of Brown in his age 31 season. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, a lot of this, when he's on the field, he always produces. So a lot of this, like you said, may be something that's sort of blown out of proportion. But I am curious because you've seen the, the splits and, and I can use the uh, road of his game splits app, which is fantastic. That talks about how he has done with and without Ben Roethlisberger. So I'm sure. just curious, what is your concern? If you look back at the splits since 2012, with Ben Roethlisberger, he's had 99 games. Again, this is the Game Splits app on Rotoviz, a fantastic tool. We're talking 21 PPR fantasy points per game. We're talking almost 11 targets, 95 yards, and .73 receiving touchdowns. Six games without Ben since 2012, 11.87 PPR points per game. It's a 10-point drop, only 66 yards, and actually no touchdowns. So is that something that you think is overblown, or is that connection with Carr that maybe hasn't been able to be facilitated here in in training camp is that something that Raider fans should worry about 
first of all, I want to say the Game Split app on Rotoviz is one of my favorite tools that's out there for fantasy football fans. You guys got to go check it out. I use it almost every single day. Uh, but the one thing I will say about the, uh, his splits there, first of all, we know how good, good of a connection he had with Ben Roethlisberger. I, I don't think anybody's questioning that. But in the six games without Ben, you're looking at games where they were playing with Michael Vick for a game and Landry Jones and uh, Josh Dobbs was there for a little bit. So it's not the highest level of a backup quarterback. I mean, Michael Vick was atrocious in one of those games. So that part of it doesn't worry me too much. I do think there's going to be a drop off from Roethlisberger to Card just because of the style of play. First of all, Roethlisberger is a guy that's going to extend plays. He's going to look for Brown in all situations. If Whenever he's in trouble, Carr's not. Uh, if, if Derek Carr senses trouble, if he senses there's going to be some pressure around him, he's going to dump the ball off to his back, to his tight end. Uh, he's not going to really extend plays. I know Derek Carr said this offseason was the first time he's ever practiced a scramble drill in the NFL. It's just not something that he is used to doing. So I do think a little bit of Brown's ceiling is going to kind of disappear now that he's playing with a more conservative quarterback. Uh, but I don't think we're going to get down to those splits that we saw with Michael Vick and Landry Jones. Well, the other big unknown entering the season revolves around the second of three first-round draft picks. That's running back Josh Jacobs out of Alabama. He wasn't highly recruited coming out of high school and wasn't a huge college producer, but of course, that's on Alabama, where of course, they have so much talent there. He had the Patriots, uh, Damien Harris, who, who's there now, of course, as a mm-hmm. rookie. John Gruden does have a track record saying with one running back, much like Cadillac Williams in Tampa Bay, Josh Jacobs is a guy, and Marcus, we found in our fantasy drafts that that end of second round, early third round selection is really sort of a a tough place to be. The variance is large and Jacobs is a guy who's there. How has he looked so far? And do you think he's a guy who could get, you know, 200 plus carries for the Raiders this season? Oh, I think 200 carries is the minimum he's going to get. When you look at that backfield right now with it's Josh Jacobs and it's Jalen Richard, who they really don't want to ever give the ball to on the ground. He's really just a passing back only. And then no Doug Martin. So it's going to be just DeAndre Washington, who is another scat back. Yeah, Josh Jacobs is going to carry this load. And frankly, he's been fantastic in the tr- in training camp. He's only played in one preseason game because the Raiders know they're going to use him up. Uh, Cadillac Williams is, is the comp here for Jacobs. When we look at Cadillac's rookie season with Tampa Bay, Gruden used him up in 14 games. I, I can I can totally see a scenario where uh, Jacobs gets 250 uh, carries, 275 carries, and then another 25, 30 receptions. Uh, game script might be a little bit of a problem, and we can get into that in a second. But yeah, Josh Jacobs is absolutely going to be a workhorse in, in Oakland. You know, the other question is, is Derek Carr, Marcus, quarterbacks, fantasy quarterbacks this year, such a deep, deep position. Derek Carr, 2016. 28 TDs, six interceptions. Mm-hmm. But then is he the player the last two season who's gone 22 and 13 and 19 and 10? I mean, he has great weapons this year. He has Terrell Williams. He has Antonio Brown, Jacobs, second year with John Gruden. I guess there's some question out there. Who's the real Derek Carr? Very polarizing player. Yeah, Carr is certainly a player that plays up to or down to the level of the talent around him. Uh, whenever he's had a solid offensive line, and even last year, when he was protected well, the, the numbers were fine. 
Uh, but it's whenever they start to get an injury or two and he doesn't feel safe and comfortable in the pocket, that's when he kind of becomes a check-down quarterback that's afraid to drive the ball down the field. Uh, I am a little concerned about Carr this year because as much as I love the receivers with Tyrell Williams and Antonio Brown and then Darren Waller kind of come into the fold, we can talk about him in a second, uh, the offensive line is a big concern. Colton Miller really struggled at left tackle last year. Uh, he hasn't really been challenged for that spot at all. Richie Incognito was slated to sl- start at left guard. He's suspended for the first two games of the season. Uh, right guard Gabe Jackson's going to miss the first month of the season at most. So if you're looking at you know picking Derek Carr in your fantasy leagues, you you want to get off to a hot start. And you look at the Raiders' schedule with you know starting with Denver on the first week of the season, combined with that poor offensive line. I'm kind of out on Derek Carr this year. I think one of the key weapons for Derek Carr to have a successful season is going to be the tight end position. You talked about Darren Waller. Gruden has raved about him, fifth-year player, athletic freak. If you look at the metrics, suspended twice for violating the least substance abuse policy, but he does run a 4-4-6-40 at 6-6-255. Amazing. They also drafted Foster Moreau, fourth round from LSU. I think that Derek Carr, that need for that accurate short to intermediate range target, we saw what happened with Jared Cook last year. We're talking about 68 receptions, 896 yards, six touchdowns. I would think that's sort of an underrated player. Talk about that tight end position here as, as we move forward towards week one. Yeah, so coming out of Georgia Tech, you mentioned it, 446 at 6'6", 255. Uh, I'm not exaggerating here, but he's a significantly better athlete now than he was coming out of school. I mean, he's he's really toned up his body. He actually lost some bad weight. Uh, he's become a better blocker, and that's important because, as we know in fantasy, you want to be on the field a lot. Darren Waller is not going to be off the field. He's going to be on the field almost every single snap. Uh, I'm looking for a monster, monster year for Darren Waller. Uh, they're trying different things to get him the ball. He's going to be their number one red zone uh, threat. Anytime they get inside the five, you can expect the, the Raiders to split him out wide and throw some jump balls to him. Uh, it, it would not surprise me at all if Darren Waller beat, beat all of Jared Cook's numbers from last year. They have young defense upgrades, but can improve under Paul Gunther this year. They have a difficult schedule. You mentioned this. Ranked third toughest by Warren Sharp. After that home game against Denver, they host KC. Then they go to Minnesota. Then they're at Indy, which looks a little easier now, of course. Mm-hmm. Host the Bears, a bye, and then back-to-back road games at Green Bay and Houston. Their record has dropped three consecutive years, 12-4, and 6-10, and 4-12. and 12. How do you project the Raiders this season? It's a team that certainly the public loves, right? When the Raiders are good, it's similar to the Cowboys. They're just sure. a popular team. But how do you project them this year in year two under John Gruden? I think the Raiders are going to be significantly better and significantly uh, more competitive. However, I'm not sure that's going to translate into a ton more wins. I think this could be a 6-10, and 7-9 type of team that is just dramatically better than last year. But the schedule is so tough, especially early in the season. If they get off to a slow start, you know, again, you mentioned Denver, Kansas City, Minnesota. Those are all three games that they very well could lose. It's going to be a little bit of a struggle for them. But I, I, I do expect the Raiders to be a much more competitive team this year. All right, moving over to Denver now. Denver Broncos, 6-10 and 10 last year, have a new head coach in Vic Fangio. I think, Marcus, that in general, you know, like with over-unders, let's say, people like to bet the over. They like to be positive. Mm-hmm. It's more fun. It's more fun, right? Exactly. Now, 
with Denver, it's sort of a real unknown here. Vic Fangio, first head coaching job, ripe old age of 60. He brings in Chicago defensive backs coach Ed Donatel with him as the defensive coordinator. The Broncos ranked fifth in defensive efficiency. They've always been tough since Wade Phillips was there. Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, Chris Harris lead the way. Fangio lost out to Matt Nagy over in Chicago a year earlier. What are you hearing about Denver? I mean, it's sort of a unique situation that a very well-respected, successful, defensive-minded coach finally gets the head job here. He's over in Denver with John Elway, but sort of interesting and sort of an unknown. What are you hearing about Denver? Yeah, I actually like Denver quite a bit this year. You mentioned the coaching staff, and that's one of the things I always look to when you see a first-year head coach is what kind of supporting staff does he bring in? Uh, Vic Fangio, I thought, did a fantastic job. You mentioned the defense coordinator. Uh, I, I thought maybe the one of the moves of the year was the Broncos able to steal Mike Munchak, the offensive line coach from Pittsburgh, over to Denver. I think he's going to really mold that group, and I think you're going to see a significantly better offensive line in the second half of the year, uh, you know, you just talked to some of those players, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. They're really excited about this defense. As good as Wade Phillips was there and, you know, helped them win a Super Bowl, I think Miller and Chubb are kind of – they're really excited about the different things that Fangio has them do. I think they're going to be one of the teams that, lead, you know, that has a bunch of turnovers this year. They're really prioritizing getting the ball, getting to the ball. Uh, it would not shock me at all if we're talking about the Broncos as you know one of those sleeper teams in the AFC when we get to November and December because we know that defense is going to be good. It's just can that offense get enough going to to keep them in games, and I think they can. Yeah, and new offensive coordinator Rich Scarangelo, only real major NFL experience as the QB coach in San Francisco. You try, Marcus, and I'm sure you see this too. We talked about this, you know, a lot of the people that come on on the pod here about what do you read into the offseason? What do you read into the comments, right? Like, mm-hmm. do they mean anything? He talked about Joe Flacco being able to stand in the pocket and make throws. I don't know if that's a recipe for success with an older quarterback, and certainly Flacco has had some issues with accuracy. But how long do you think they roll with Flacco? Because that depth chart really isn't that strong. Kevin Mm -hmm. Hogan, Drew Locke, of course, is a rookie. So I feel like he's a guy, especially for fantasy too, that's going to get reps. The question is, how effective is he going to be? Yeah, I think Flacco's pretty much locked into a 16-game schedule, assuming he doesn't get hurt, just because of, you know, I, I don't think Kevin Hogan is anything. Drew Locke is a little bit injured right now with the thumb. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think we're going to see a lot of Flacco. And, you know, I actually think that we're going to see a, a better Flacco. He had, you know, basically all of last year to kind of sit out and kind of reflect on what, you know, his mistakes. And uh, I think a, a change of scenery for Flacco. And listen, I like some of the receivers on this team, too. I actually think they match up well with Flacco's skill set a little bit. So it it wouldn't be all that surprising to me if we saw a bounce-back season from Joe Flacco. One of the key things for us, of course, is the running back battle. I am a Royce Freeman guy. I understand. Good. Me too. Yeah. He had the injuries last year, but he profiles like a true RB1 here in the NFL. And the battle is with him and Lindsey, the undrafted free agent, and it rolls on. Lindsey was dominant last season, but Freeman really was a quality pass catcher at Oregon that I think people have forgotten about. They've added Theo Riddick, but he's about out about six more weeks, got the fracture in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Do you think Freeman gets the majority of touches this year under the new coaching staff that you think he'll become more more of a presence? Or do you think, again, we're talking about Lindsey, who was sort of a star last year with all everything he did after the catch and his versatility? 
Uh, it might be neither. I think we're going to see close to a 50-50 split. And listen, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing for either player. I, we know how dominant Philip Lindsay can be and how efficient he can be. But I just don't see him as a, as a guy that's going to carry the load from week to week. Uh, even last year, he struggled a little bit to stay healthy. I do think we're going to see Freeman maybe in like a Mark Ingram type of role where you're looking at 15 to 18 carries a game. Lindsay being the more explosive player, try to get him in space, uh, try to give the ball a little bit more in the passing game because that's something that they didn't do last year. Uh, I'm definitely looking to see Freeman have a bigger role this year. I'm just not sure if he's going to be the lead back in Denver. Yeah, Lindsey, he really had an explosive year last year. He played the 15 games. He got hurt at the end of the year. Uh, but certainly, Lindsey ended up having 35 receptions. He had 1,037 rushing yards. Again, we're talking about a player here who's 5'7", 184. So really, mm-hmm. I, I think they understand that they can't continue to give that workload to Lindsey. And if, if Scarangelo really goes forward with a run offense and he really tries to establish that run game a little bit more, especially with Flacco being older. I, I think Freeman can really come on here. Do you, do you think both of them can actually have quality? Let's say RB2 or better seasons? Yeah, I think that's possible, right? I, I think. I think for Freeman to have sustained fantasy value, he's going to need to be you know, the goal line runner. And I think he can do that well. That's something we saw at Oregon. And I think Lindsey is going to be somebody who has the more explosive plays. He might be a little bit more volatile uh, from week to week. You might not know when to necessarily play him. But I do think when it comes to the end of the season, you look at guys who probably both finished in the top 30 of running backs. Nebulous wide receiver group as you can possibly have here. We have second half disappointment, Cortland Sutton. I feel like in DFS, right? Everyone was talking about playing Cortland Sutton second half of the year. You know, he never really popped. Then they have a PPR player that was everyone's darling in Deshaun Hamilton. I think people were talking Mm -hmm. about this could be a real breakout year because they assumed Emmanuel Sanders wouldn't be ready right away. But of course, we're seeing the videos. He played the other night, Marcus, in the preseason game. Looks incredibly good coming off an Achilles tear, but he is 32. What's your flavor here? What's your lean? Where do you think the targets go in Denver with the wide receivers? You know, individually, I like all three receivers. I was a big Deshaun Hamilton fan coming out of Penn State. Cortland Sutton obviously has a ton of tools that you hope he can eventually develop. Uh, But the guy I'm targeting is Emmanuel Sanders. You look at the history of Joe Flacco as a quarterback, he's almost always latched onto one receiver. And typically, it's a veteran receiver, right? You're looking at the Michael Crabtrees, the Anquan Boldens, the Steve Smiths. Uh, I think Emmanuel Sanders is going to be that kind of player for, for Flacco this year because, listen, Of the three, I think he gets open the most consistently. I think he creates the most separation. And Flacco has always kind of been a see-it-throw-it passer. Uh, I know the Achilles injury is concerning, but you watch Sanders in the preseason. uh, He looked just as good as ever, and Flacco targeted him a ton. He had, I think it was a 40-yard reception that was taken back by penalty. He had an end around. He looked explosive. And considering the price tags right now, uh, I'll take Emmanuel Sanders to be my wide receiver three. I have no problem with that at all. You know, switching to the tight ends here, rookie tight ends just don't produce. I will tell you, Marcus, that a player like TJ Hawkinson in Detroit is starting to really raise my eyebrows. I'm curious about Noah Fant. I mean, certainly one of the most athletic tight ends coming out of Iowa. I mean, right now, if you look at the depth chart, they have Jeff Huerman ahead of him. Is Fant a guy because he's so athletic and so productive in college that you think could make an impact for, let's say, like a second half sort of fantasy impact here for, you know, for Flacco as we move forward? 
Well, we know Flacco loves to target the tight end, and I do think things are setting up well for Fant to to maybe catch forty or fifty passes. My only concern is there's just a lot of depth at that position for the for the Broncos. You've got uh, Jeff Uerman, you've got uh, Troy Fumagalli, uh, Jake Butt. I know had a little surgery over the last couple of days. Um, I, I I just can't see Fant separating from that group right away. I think he's going to need a little bit of seasoning. Uh, but if there's obviously if there's one tight end to target here, it is Fant. Broncos had consecutive five and eleven and six and ten seasons. There's a new but experienced coaching staff with an older quarterback. It doesn't sound to me on the surface that this is a recipe for success, but you may like them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. How do you see the Broncos finishing up here? You know, with of course the Chargers and Chiefs. We'll talk about in a minute. I I think Denver is going to be sneaky. I really do. Now, is that going to be a team that gets to nine or ten wins? No, probably not. But could they get to seven and nine or eight and eight? I, I think so. I, I just think when you look at their defense, they, it's veterans all over the place. They've got young guys with Bradley Chubb. Uh, I kind of like Justin Hollins and Draymond Jones, the two two pass rushers they drafted this year. I think their defense is going to keep them in games, and I think the offense, especially with Mike Munchak, again, I'm going to keep keep throwing his name out there. This is going to be a team that kind of improves throughout the season. Uh, but I'm looking again seven and nine, eight and eight as kind of a a slow, uh, you know. Base basically building back up to success in Denver. Yeah, Munchak is is definitely a difference maker. There's a few of those guys around. He's definitely one of them. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from 19.99, polos from 16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from 19.99, polos from 16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Factory. The next team we're going to, Marcus, full disclosure here on the Rotoviz preview. I am a supporter of the Chargers this year. They were 12 and 4 last year, Anthony Lynn's third season. I think and expect big things from the Chargers. I love the over under number at nine and a half, which is now up to 10. So now you're going to have to get to 11, but I'm still going with it. They won five of their last six games to end the season, including that really incredible 29-28 win at Kansas City Lake. That was the Mike Williams game where he had three Mm -hmm. touchdowns, I think. Big expectations for the team this year, but with Gus Bradley guiding that defense, who I think is a better defensive coordinator than head coach for a second year, I think this team has a lot of talent and perfect balance for Super Bowl aspirations. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. The, the Super Bowl should be the expectation for this team, especially when you consider the conference, right? Obviously, you have New England and Kansas City. But after those two teams, it's really wide open, right? You have uh, Indianapolis, who just lost Andrew Luck. Pittsburgh, who lost Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, who, you know, they seem like they're a good team, but maybe not ready to win a Super Bowl. Baltimore still seems like they're a year away. Cleveland is still unproven. Uh, I I think the Chargers, at the very worst, are the third best team in the conference. And when you look at the talent on both sides of the ball here, they absolutely should be gunning for the Super Bowl. And I don't think that's unrealistic. The Melvin Gordon situation is certainly the main issue. I'm classifying this much differently than Ezekiel Elliott. Zeke led the league in rushing two of his first three seasons. So if you want to have negotiating leverage, that's pretty much as good as you're going to get. Gordon was also primarily an inefficient rusher for the first couple of years. I feel like on social media, Marcus, we're always talking about, yeah, but he doesn't average four yards per carry. That was always sort of there. And of course, his first year, he had zero rushing touchdowns. So what are you hearing about Gordon? 
And what do you think about him coming back? Obviously, I heard because of the fifth year, you know, obviously he's got to come back at some point. This is not a Le'Veon Bell situation, but I don't see an end in sight for this holdout. Yeah, the Chargers are the wrong organization to test in terms of contract stuff. I mean, they're notorious for, you know, haggling on rookie deals. And I, was it Joey Bosa held out a couple years ago on his rookie deal because of guaranteed money. Uh, we've seen it with Vincent Jackson in the past. Uh, they're not afraid to play hardball. Unfortunately for Gordon here, I think the Chargers are the one that have a lot of leverage because of some of the running backs they have. Uh, Austin Eckler, uh, it's kind of in the mold of a Philip Lindsay where he's not a guy that you want to give all the touches, but he's super explosive, very efficient. Uh, Justin Jackson is a kind of fun guy from Northwestern who I thought played well. You look at him in games like uh, the Pittsburgh game last year, uh, I thought he ran really hard inside. And, and then and here's the thing. This entire team is built around Phillip Rivers. As long as Rivers is there, they'll have success with whatever running back they put out here. Gordon will be back. When will that be? When, when will that happen? I'm guessing maybe not till the end of September, but the Chargers are going to be just fine without him. There's been a big debate on Austin Eckler versus Justin Jackson. And last year, I remember that London game with the Chargers and Tennessee. So mm-hmm. they're in London. Gordon came over on the plane. The rumor was he was going to sit out. Eckler plays. It was one of those odd games, which of course happens across the pond a lot, Marcus, where the game script was odd. Tennessee ran a ton of plays. The Chargers really didn't. Eckler from that game only had 68 total yards, no touchdowns, 12 carries. And that's kind of where the Justin Jackson may actually take a bigger role started. He's still a guy that when Melvin Gordon has been out, has gotten the large amount of touches. But the question is, and there's often a disconnect between what the coaches think and what we think as analysts, do they trust Jackson more than we do? And the fact that Eckler has produced because of his size, even though Jackson isn't that big himself, do they are they going to go more to Jackson? How do you see the touches breaking down if Gordon doesn't return for a while? I, I still think Eckler is the favorite to, to have more touches between the two. But I do think that the Chargers are going to try to find ways to use Justin, Justin Jackson probably co- closer to the end zone, uh, probably between the tackles more. I think they want to try to get Eckler more out in space. Uh, this, unfortunately, for me, has been a, a, a running back situation that I'm just trying to avoid in all my drafts right now because once Gordon comes back, he's going to be the lead back. Uh, Eckler's going to kind of be reduced to that part-time player, and then we'll see about Justin Jackson. So if you're drafting you know, over the next week or so, as talented as this offense is, it's just something that I, that I would avoid right now. And it's still a guy that in the game's total that Gordon did not play – Austin Eckler has gone for 12.8 PPR points per game. He's had 43 rushing yards. He's had seven targets, which I think is huge, of course. So definitely it does seem like it's going to be him. And there's just enough uncertainty baked in that I think Austin Eckler is still a value. I agree with you there. Keenan Allen has finally shed that injury-prone label you used to talk about all the time. He's played 16 games in each of the past two years. However, as a fantasy option, he does tend to get those points in bunches. Last year, he had a TD on the opening game and then didn't have another TD for seven weeks. 2017, TD in the first week, no touchdowns for eight weeks. What do you make of Allen with the departure of Terrell Williams? Can Mike Williams supplant him, or do you think that despite the fact that he's volatile, his end-of-year stats just still make him the guy to own here? Yeah, Keenan Allen's still the wide receiver one here. And I think you look at the roster right now, 
Keenan Allen's a guy that I'm absolutely targeting for a couple different reasons. We know that he's uh, Philip Rivers' favorite target. And then when you look at that left tackle situation with Russell Okung on, on NFI, they're going to have to get the ball out quicker. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You look at the two receivers between Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. Which one creates more separation? That's Keenan Allen. Which one can play in the slot? That's Keenan Allen. I'm looking for, especially early in the year, just a ton of receptions for Keenan Allen. Will the touchdowns be there? I'm not sure. It's It, it seems like it's very fluky for Keenan Allen, as you mentioned. Uh, but this is a guy that you really want to target in your, in your uh, PPR leagues. I think he can provide low-end wide receiver one numbers this entire season. And on top of that, the return of tight end Hunter Henry should be a game changer. He had 12 touchdowns in his first two seasons. Injuries obviously have kept him off the field. Always tight end upside there. But how do you rank a player like Henry? Henry, And then, of course, in fantasy, he's right in that area of O.J. Howard of Tampa, Vance McDonald with the Steelers, who's had his own injury issues. So, you know, I think the upside is there with Henry. I guess what I'm asking is, is the floor enough to put him ahead of those mid-tier guys yeah this is a decision that i've had multiple times over the last couple weeks between howard and henry and i've leaned howard just because of the durability thing i mean we know when henry's on the field he's going to get a bunch of targets without antonio gates right now he may be the favorite option for uh for philip rivers in the end zone maybe even more so than mike williams who you know we saw some success last year with double digit touchdowns uh the ceiling is there I just get really nervous about some of these guys that have struggled to stay healthy. Uh, for the most part, I, again, I've been taking Howard. McDonald is a guy that I've even considered over Henry. Uh, I'm kind of passing on him right now. A uh, big season for the Chargers, certainly. They want to start creating a real home field advantage, which has always been an issue. They do have a game here in Mexico with nine days rest against the Chiefs, a home game for them, against the Chiefs who are coming off short rest. So the schedule seems to go in their favor. They also, Marcus, don't have to go to Kansas City to Week 17. So when you're playing one of the best teams in the NFL who happens to be in your division and you don't have that road game to Week 17, that's also an advantage. How do you see the Chargers in this division? It just feels like that Week 17 game is going to matter, though, right? As much as you, you know, typically these games don't matter. We've seen the Chargers and, uh, and Chiefs, you know, basically have the same record every single year. Uh, I think that game is going to matter. I think 11 wins kind of seems right. Uh, I think the Derwin James injury is going to hurt them for a little bit until they kind of figure out what to do there. Maybe Nasir Adderley kind of comes in and replaces Derwin. Uh, I, I think it's one of the best teams in the AFC. I, I don't necessarily think they're going to replicate 12 wins from last year, but 10, 11 wins seems just about right. All right, and we'll finish up here with the big one, the Kansas City Chiefs, 12-4 and four last year also. Andy Reid's seventh season. In many ways, Marcus, they were the best team in football last year. They were number one in offensive DVOA, and it was the fifth best total ever since 1986 as per Football Outsiders. Patrick Mahomes, MVP, Incredible. He had a great season. I think that the sort of doubting Thomas in me says that there has to be some possible regression. Even if he regresses, are we basically just talking about a 40 touchdown passing season either way? Yeah, I think the one thing we need to remember here is that for a lot of these quarterbacks that regress from career years, uh, they have subpar coaching. That's that's not the case here. I don't think anybody's going to disagree that Andy Reid is one of the best 
head coaches in the league and one of the best quarterback minds in all of football. You look at the talent they have around them. You look at the way they want to play football. I, I think Mahomes is in for another massive season in Kansas City. You know, the only question mark here on offense, I think, is at the running back position. Damian Williams was a journeyman with the Dolphins. And then he comes to Kansas City, Kareem Hunt gets suspended, right? And what people forget is when Kareem Hunt got suspended, they didn't turn to Williams right away. They turned to Spencer Ware. And then Mm -hmm. Spencer Ware got hurt. Now, you've seen all the stats there talking about Damian Williams and how he finished up and how he had four great games in the regular season and, of course, the playoffs. I take umbrage with the four games because week 14 against Baltimore, he had 30 total yards, but two touchdowns. So yes, that was the RBA performance, but that wouldn't really wouldn't be a traditional, hey, we have to draft this guy as an RB1. But after that, 123 total yards and two touchdowns against the Chargers, RB2. 140 total yards and one touchdown against Seattle, RB4. Then 59 uh, total yards, one touchdown, RB14 against Oakland, of course, the playoffs. I just keep seeing Marcus Alex Collins. I just keep Mm -hmm. seeing Justin Forsett. I know that he's a very talented guy, and I've been getting him a lot of my drafts around the the end of the second round, but I don't feel great about it. But, of course, you want a part of this backfield. So talk about your thoughts on Damian Williams and who's the handcuff if you have to handcuff him. Uh, So this is a really difficult one, and this might be the one that decides most fantasy leagues, right? Because you're talking about – the best offense in the NFL, uh, a spot where you know the starting running back is going to arguably be a top three or four. Uh, you know, it, basically every week that you rank your players one to ten at running back, the Chiefs' number one running back is going to be in the top three or four, right? Because it's just such a valuable position. Um, where he's going right now in drafts is that end of the second round, beginning of the third round. And I'm perfectly fine taking him here. The the upside is just too great to pass on. Uh, for me, the the handcuff is, handcuff is Darwin Thompson, I, but I just can't see Andy Reid kind of turning over the whole offense to, to Thompson, a six round pick. I'm all in on Damian Williams. I'm all in on this offense. Uh, I believe that Andy Reid's going to find ways to get Williams in situations where he's going to thrive, and I think you're going to see some massive, massive numbers from him this year. Their receiving core is top-notch. Travis Kelsey was number one among tight ends in target share. He actually had a higher target share than Tyreek Hill last year, who, of course, we know is super explosive. Sammy Watkins is hanging around, and Nicole Hartman even flashed with that sort of jet sweep handoff there, if you will, scored a touchdown there in the preseason 4-3-3 speed. Are there any concerns here? Are you are you worried at all that like someone could start taking the targets away, or is it pretty much roll with the, with the Chiefs' receiving options? Yeah, I love their receivers. I, I just think they have identified the type of receivers they want. They want guys that can make plays down the field. Uh, I think Tyreek Hill is going to be special again this year. You're already seeing them use Michael Hardman. Uh, but the guy that I've really been tar- targeting in my drafts is Sammy Watkins. You look last year, you know, he was a little banged up. Uh, he was just kind of learning the scheme, and he still was a pretty fun player to have. I think in year two with Andy Reid, with Patrick Mahomes, I think you're going to see a much better Sammy Watkins. And when, you know, considering his price tag, you know, you can a lot of times get him in the sixth, seventh, eighth round, depending on your league. Uh, I, I'm all in on Sammy Watkins, and I'm all on this, this receiving core. I think there's going to be certain games where teams try to take away Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. That's going to open up from Sammy Watkins. But, you know, Kelsey is still going to get his. Hill's still going to get his. Uh, it, it's just a really, really good offense. On defense, no Justin Houston, no Eric Berry, of course. But we're dealing with Frank Clark of Seattle, who came over. 
Teron, uh, Teron Matthew came over. Emmanuel Ogba from the Browns. Alex Okafor from New Orleans. Bob Sutton was fired. He was let go. That was sort of their Achilles heel with this big offense. Couldn't stop anyone. Steve Spagnuolo is now the defensive coordinator. Is the defense going to be better? And are the Chiefs going to be the class of the AFC West as well as the AFC? Or do you still put them a notch below New England at this point? Yeah, I think they're a better team than New England right now. And actually, one of the guys that you didn't even mention who I, I think has been kind of an underrated acquisition is Mor- Morris Claiborne, who sure, they signed yeah. just a couple of weeks ago. He's going to serve a four-game suspension. But when we get into the playoffs, a cornerback a core of Kendall Fuller, Morris Claiborne, Brashad Perryman, that's pretty good. You can put Tyron Matthew in the slot. They love, absolutely love Juan Thornhill and what he can do as a safety corner hybrid. Uh, their linebackers are still a little concerning for me with Anthony Hitchens, uh, Damian Wilson, Reggie Ragland. I, I'm not sure any of those guys really excel in coverage. Uh, but you look at that secondary, much improved over last year. Uh, I think Frank Clark is a Frank Clark, excuse me, is a significant upgrade over Justin Houston and D Ford. They brought in Emmanuel Ogba. Over from Cleveland, they drafted Kalen Saunders in the third round. I, I think it's still going to be a, a, an average defense at best, but definitely better than what we saw last year. So if I made you have a prediction here, you think the Chiefs represent the AFC in the Super Bowl? I do. I, I just think from top to bottom, they've got the best roster. I love their coaching staff. Uh, so when you combine the quarterback, coaching staff, and just the talent on the offensive line, we didn't really talk about their, you know, Eric Fisher and Mitchell Swartz and some yep. of the guys they have there. Uh, just a really solid roster all the way around. And Andy Reid does a great job as coach, of course, so you know they'll be well prepared. Folks, if you're not following Marcus Mosier, I don't know what you're doing. At Marcus underscore Mosier on Twitter, not only does the guy cover the Raiders, cover the Cowboys, he covers everything. We've had a lot of people on this podcast, Marcus, you can go into fantasy, of course, which is what we want here, and analyze it not only from an NFL perspective, but a fantasy perspective. Cannot thank you enough enough for this summary. The AFC West is one of the most explosive and fantasy-rich divisions in all of football, and you did a great job for us, man. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate all that you guys do at Rotoviz. It's just a fantastic site. For new fans, for fantasy football fans, I highly recommend that you guys check that out. That's going to do it for today's edition of the Rotoviz NFL Season Preview Podcast, the AFC West Preview. Thanks to Marcus Mosier for jumping aboard to talk about all four teams in the division. Please follow him on Twitter at Marcus underscore Mosier. Don't forget that 10% discount at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast gives you unlimited access to all the amazing Rotoviz tools and also the patronships at patreon.com forward slash Rotoviz Radio. Thanks for listening and tuning in. We have a couple more previews coming out this season over the next week or so, so pay attention for those. Hope you've been enjoying all the content here at Road of His Radio. My name is Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. Keep spreading the word of the pod, and we'll be back at you soon. Thank you for listening to Road of His Radio. Please rate and review the Road of His Radio podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at roadofhisradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio. Thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn.
Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.